You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hello, I'm Christy Landwehr. And I'm Sarah Honiger, and you are listening to the special monthly NRHA episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for this Thursday, August 10th. Good morning, horse world. It's the second Thursday of the month. That means it's time to slide in to the National Reigning Horse Association episode of Horses in the Morning. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? I'm good. How's it going in Colorado? You know, it's going well, actually. We are so incredibly green. It's kind of freaking me out for this time of year. It's great. That's awesome. We've been getting super flooded here too, actually, but you know, the hundred tens are back. So we're just sweating it out over here. (laughs) Well, Oklahoma has that, right? It sure (laughs) does. It is part of the journey. It is. It is. Well, so you just got back from an awesome trip in Costa Rica. I want all of our viewers to hear about the neat horse experience you had there. Oh my gosh. So this was so neat. And it just shows you, you know, sometimes you have to bother your network and great things happen. So I met a wonderful gentleman named Victor Wolf at the American Quarter Horse Association convention. I go there every year as a professional horseman for them. I'm on their membership and marketing committee, some other things. And I met him literally in the breakfast buffet line. And he was on one side of it. I was on the other. And we just started chit-chatting. And he is currently the chair of their international committee. So we were talking about where he lives in Costa Rica and his fabulous ranch. And I just said, well, one day it's on my bucket list to go there. And I'm going to bug you if that's okay. And my family of four is going to descend upon you. And he said, of course. And so I did it. Yes. So I reached out to him on WhatsApp and I said, Hey, Victor, I'm coming. Is this still okay? And he said, of course. And oh my goodness. So if I can just share for a second, 10,000 acres in a place um, right outside of San Juan on the coast or San Jose. Sorry. So if you fly in, that's where you end up is two hours on the coast. It's a place called Chomes. It was two hours north of where we were in Hako and he raises Brahmas. So he's a cattle rancher. He raises sheep. He wow. also has palm oil production and he also has sugarcane. And he's so holistic in how he runs his ranch. Um, all the silage left over from the production of the sugarcane and the palm oil goes to feeding the animals. Wow, that is awesome. <laughs> It's a really amazing thing. And so uh, the four of us, my two sons and my husband and I got to go on a trail ride and uh, be inside the sugarcane, be underneath the palm trees where the palm oil is produced, go up on the mountain and see the ranch in the ocean from up high. And for those that have never been to Costa Rica, it is really mountainous, not hilly mountainous. It's amazing, the mountains. So that was super fun. And then we came back and we had food that um, his wonderful lady that cooks the food for the family made for us. Sarita was her name. And we had this amazing prawn straight out of the ocean that morning and amazing beef from his Brahmas and plantains, rice and beans. I mean, it just went on and on. We were so spoiled. Well, we're certainly lucky to have you on our podcast today because if I were you, I just simply would not have left. (laughs) (laughs) I know. He was so wonderful. And now he's like, well, if I ever come out and see you, what should we do? And I said, well, I hope you come to Futurity for the National Reigning Horse Association in November so I can spoil you because we do have 
food and all kinds of fun things that occur there, right? Because I don't know how else to do it. I mean, it's just phenomenal. What yeah, a, what a neat a experience. High bar of hospitality right there. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. So we have an event coming up in August that we're a part of within our HA. Do you want to let um, our listeners know a little bit more about the Run for a Million and what that is? Yeah, we're super excited to be there. We'll have a booth with NRHA and it is just the neatest event. We had a qualifier um, in Arizona earlier this year for this special run for a million. And there were also qualifiers from the $100,000 shootout at last year's event in Las Vegas that qualified for this as well. Um, but it is certainly one of the largest events in our industry. It pulls so many outside fans and because of the structure of it, you know, with a $100,000 open shootout, with the cow horse competition involved, with the special million dollar competition for NRHA, you know, it's kind of a good intro to reigning event in the fact that the classes are small, they have great commentators, the energy is just out of this world. So it's a really good first event to come to if you're a fan to just kind of see what it's all about and, you know, feel the energy in the room, meet the biggest players in the industry and see really legendary horsepower. You know, all these riders that are competing for this million dollars, they are pulling out the very best horses for this and there's no age cap. So You'll see some legends come back into the show pen, like past world champions or fraternity champions and world champions. And it is just awesome to see in person. Well, I went for the first time last year. And for those that don't know, it's in Las Vegas at South Point Arena and Casino. And it is fantastic. I, I really did enjoy it. And we will have a booth there so you can come and visit us and enjoy um, that space. And so hopefully... Some of you that are listening, come. You can go ahead and find out more about it um, on their site. Just, you know, go ahead and search for Run for a Million. It'll come up. And But it would be great to see people there. Absolutely. So if you're wanting to join us for a reigning event that's in a fun location, mark your calendars. It's August 16th through the 19th. And we would love to get to interact with our friends that we've made through this podcast. Now, today on the show, we are going to have some excitement. We are going to start to dive into the different maneuvers that are done in a raining pattern so that those listening that might want to one day um, do raining on your own horses or take a riding lesson from an NRHA pro near you or actually start to compete in the show pen, we're going to try to bring a professional and a judge on each month to talk about the different maneuvers. So today, in this National Raining Horse Association episode, we're going to dive into a specific maneuver on the reining patterns of the large and fast circles and the small and slow circles and what the lead change all involves. We're going to have NRHA professional Shane Brown on and NRHA judge Drake Johnson. So looking forward to that. Our guest Shane Brown has been working in the horse industry since his early teens. He is an NRHA Futurity and Derby finalist, an AQHA World Show finalist, and also with the Pain Horses, an APHA World Show champion. He's also been a qualifier for AQHA many times. And not only has he done these things nationally, but internationally, he has competed with USEF and FEI. Shane was the Rocky Mountain Reining Horse Association president for many years, and he's on our executive committee currently. He is an outstanding non-pro coach who cares about educating both the horse and the rider. Shane, we're so excited to have you on today. Welcome. Thank you very much, Christy. I'm happy to be here. 
So you and I go way back because you were in Colorado for many, many years. And I have watched you compete at the um, National Western Stock Show freestyle reigning competition a lot. That has been a pleasure that takes place in January here in Denver. Um, tell us a little bit about your journey from Colorado over to Texas. Um, we had owned our own place for several years. In fact, that place we were at, we'd been there for almost 18 years and we had the opportunity, um, a little over a year ago, Tom and Mandy McCutcheon approached me and asked me to maybe come be able to bring some horses still riding show, but be able to be their breeding manager and run their breeding operation. And so in October, we moved to Aubrey, Texas and started that journey. So big difference but still very involved in showing and riding reining horses and uh and as you stated involved with nrha talk about a diversity of things that you have done it's awesome <laughs> well we've been very fortunate to to do a little bit of everything in this industry from as you mentioned competing globally and getting to go to europe and show horses um in my career i went over there and trained for about seven months in my early 20s um, all those things were a great experience. Um, was lucky enough to get to be an assistant and grow up in this industry. So started when I was very young, um, hung my shingle out when I was very young, have always really enjoyed coaching people. Um, and so that's been a very fulfilling part of my career. I've been lucky enough to make it the open finals of the fraternity. Um, and then to move on to learning this aspect of the breeding industry. Um, we've done a little bit of everything and enjoyed all of it. Shane, that's so awesome. And I'm so glad, you know, we get to share all the different pieces of this industry, just that you've been involved with alone on this podcast. Um, the focus of this one specifically is about the circles and that piece of our reigning pattern. So could you share a little bit with people when you're training a horse on how to do these fast and slow circles and that lead change, you know, what are the first steps if someone's at home and wanting to kind of get this piece of a reining pattern down? Well, there's a lot of ways to do this. Um, <laughs> thank goodness our, our horses are very forgiving and they allow us to get it figured out. The other thing, and one of the reasons that reining is so successful, I believe, is this industry really believes in paying it forward and helping each other out. Mm -hmm. Um our trainers are willing to help each other. There, you cannot show up to our show and say, I need some help and not have everybody with an earshot want to help you and tell you what to do. So um, true. That has made our sport um, move faster and improve itself so much more than it would have if we were keeping our cards close to our vest and not helping each other out. Mm -hmm. um, and so with there being, there's a lot of ways to do it. So this is kind of how I do it. In my opinion, doesn't mean it's the only way to do it. Mm -hmm. um, the most important thing is gaining body control is my opinion, because got it, body control is going to make your guidance and you've got to have a very willfully guided horse in these circles, uh, both large and fast and small and slow. Um, and so we've got true control of their shoulders, their rib cage and their hips. And of course their head and neck individually, then that's going to make our guidance in that circle much better. It's going to make their shoulders be stood up and them stay like they're running on a rail versus leaning that shoulder in or letting their hip fall out or vice versa. Um, I would say the shoulder leaning in is um, a more, more what we see as our major problem in our guidance of those circles. 
And so to work on that, I'm going to work on gaining control of that, both with my hands and my reins, being able to pick that horse up and move them out if they're leaning in, and also with my inside leg, being able to move those shoulders out. <clears throat> but also I want to I don't want to get just too caught up in that one problem. And I think that's something we do is we get so concerned about that shoulder leaning over. That's all we can feel when we ride around and we over worry about it. Um, and so one of the things that I actually learned from a dressage trainer several years ago, cause I had a horse that was uh, very intelligent and he was really good at home where I could fix him. But when I'd go to the horse show in his right circles, he would still lean over. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things was, envisioning instead of a circle being a continuous arc and i think that's how most of us look at it as a circle is a continuous arc look at it as a series of redirected straight lines so in other words you're going to go forward for just a stride or two and then steer forward stride or two on a straight line and then steer um by just having that approach allowed me to keep my horse more stood up and i feel like by having two different solutions to a horse that leans over we can guide them out we can push mm-hmm. that shoulder out and we can go around with a series of redirected straight lines it just is another way to approach it and uh, some horses respond to that better can i just jump in here and just say as a riding instructor myself i love that concept that that dressage coach taught you shane because you're right we always see it as just an arc and we just teach it as a continuous maneuver but that's not necessarily true um and being able to do it with those two you know strides and then readjust i think that's really cool right and so another mental way for us to approach solving that problem and so once we figure out what works best for our horse, whether it's guiding them out with their inside leg and pushing that shoulder out or our hands or thinking about straight lines, but once we start getting that shoulder fixed, then the other end of the fixing it is worrying about our hips. And I think that's another important lesson for us to learn is always ask ourselves, what's the other end of our problem? You know, if our shoulder's dropping in, what's going on with the hips? Because sometimes our hip is actually what's causing our shoulder to drop over or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And if we get to where we can't see the forest for the trees and all we're doing is trying to fix that shoulder, it's never going to solidly fix. We're always going to be battling with it, uh, especially if our problem is actually that they're pushing their hip out or excessively in one or the other. It's not following where it's supposed to be. We've got to have some hip control to put it where it belongs. And, um, you know, never say never because there's always an exception to every rule, but it is extremely hard for a horse to lean their shoulder into the circle and have their hip inside also, mm-hmm. almost impossible. And so if we can keep that hip a little inside that circle, chances of them dropping their shoulder over is much less. So if I can work on that all the way in the basics of teaching a horse to turn on the forehand so my outside leg being underneath me can push that hip around, then as I'm loping that circle, if I've got my inside leg on a little bit supporting that shoulder, my outside leg can ask that hip to move into the inside of the circle until it haunches in. And that will, in other words, prop that horse to where they can't drop their shoulder over. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in my education of going into that small slow, I'll actually push that hip in and make that guide first and keep them from dropping that shoulder into that small slow as well when I make that transition. Well, that makes perfect sense. And when you break it down step by step, it's just so much easier for someone's brain. I think that doesn't live and breathe this every day, just to have those little steps to achieve it, I think is super helpful. You know, that's what we hope is 
40 years of doing this, figuring it out <laughs> with the blind <laughs> leading the blind some. Hopefully our uh, experience of trying it over and over and learning a few things, we can speed it up for those that are younger than us or just starting in this sport. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, another huge part of these maneuvers, obviously, is the lead change. Um, I know, as you know, I come from a rodeo background. And when I was training my colt, I can't tell you how many NRHA professionals I called because I could not get this thing to change a lead. I thought I was pretty horse savvy, and I definitely needed to call a phone a friend situation <laughs> to help me through it. Um right. But what about that part of the maneuver? What could you um, kind of, for lack of a better word, well, lead? <laughs> right. Um, so with that, the next thing, even in uh, as we just progress through our circles, this is going to connect to our slowdown and our lead change. We're going to have to have collection because as a horse runs a fast circle, the faster they go, the more their body's going to be strung out and uncollected. The collected horse is pushed together into a compact mass. And so to slow them down, we want to have the ability to drive them together. And mm -hmm. so that's another way to approach a slowdown is thinking about driving them into a compact mass, which will shorten their stride, which is going to slow them down. And so to come around to that slowdown and ask a horse to collect, as a result, they slow down. And so it's changing our paradigm from just coming around there and trying to make that horse slow down. Mm -hmm. And we've all been around horses long enough to know sometimes when you try to make them do something, they're like a little kid. They're going to do the exact opposite. And so if we can come around again and have another tool in our toolbox, it's not just working on the brake pedal about slowing down, but educating them and teaching them how to drive into a compact mass, it's going to help our slowdown. Then the same thing. I've got to have that horse driven together and collected for my lead change. And so really there's three things that make up a lead change when you want to make it simple. There's, we got to have control of our shoulders to prepare our horse for lead change. So in other words, if we're changing from a right lead into a left lead, all of us know that we've got to get our hips swung over there to the left to get it changed. But sometimes it really helps us if we will do a little preparation, move my shoulder inside the circle, clear it out of the road so that when I ask that hip to move over, Everything's clear and easy. All that hip's got to do is swing a little to the left and step forward, and there's where your lead change happens if the horse is collected. For them to truly be collected, they're going to be driving with their hocks, and they're going to be soft and giving in their chin. So they can't spring apart and not get that lead changed. All we're asking them to do is we're man manipulating their body parts so that they have to catch their balance, and, and the result of them catching their balance in that new direction is they change leads. So that makes it sound very simple. <laughs> and really, it should be. The lead change is something that a lot of us have a hard time with. We get a phobia about it sometimes. Um, and that shouldn't be necessary if we just break it down into the pieces and parts. I have to have body control and collection. Uh, if I don't have the ability to move my shoulders and my hips and keep this horse collected through this maneuver... I don't need to be worrying about practicing lead changes until I have those individual parts ready to go. Um, the next thing about changing leads is I think it's very important if you don't remember anything from this talk, but this one thing, don't look into your new direction until after you have changed leads. Um, I think it's important that we don't make lead changes about changing direction. Get them to change leads, then go the new direction. That is a great idea and very much not taught. 
Right. <laughs> and so I think, and, I, and, I, and I've listened to coaches say, look the new direction. I understand a little where they're coming from, but what I find is when we move our eyes that new direction, our hand and our body and everything goes that new direction. Back up and think about loping a horse off. In a lope departure, the physics of it is, and think about a horse loping off from a standstill. They're going to rock back on their outside hock, lift up their inside shoulder to get that lead. So our weight, we should shift our weight where we want our horse's weight distributed. In that case of loping off in the left lead or changing in the left lead, they need to put their weight on their right hock. So I need to sit back on my right hip and their right hip to clear their left shoulder to lope off. And it's also the same when I change leads. So that's where my body should be going is actually a little bit to the right to change to the left. But if I follow my eyes and just look left, my shoulders are going to go out over their left shoulder and I'm not going to be sitting in the best spot to help them get that lead. That is so incredibly true. And, you know, such a big deal, I think, about this too, Shane, is that some of us are really good horse trainers, right? So we can train the horse to do things well, but we're not as right. good at instructing or coaching. And there is a big difference. Some some people can do both of which you've done during your career. So if you are coaching a rider to do these maneuvers, what are some different ways that you would get it done? Like, for example, in your lead change, would you always do it through the figure eight or would you maybe do a long diagonal reverse to start? Oh, yeah. What are some of your thoughts there? Very good question. Um and so we need to be able to, and none of this, do we need to have a phobia about lead changes? We need to realize it's just about the pieces and the parts, and we need to practice the pieces and the parts. But the other thing about our horses, it doesn't matter if they're a rope horse that gets anticipatory in the box or a barrel horse that's anticipatory at the gate or our reining horses that are anticipatory to their stops or lead changes as well. We need to be careful about practicing something so repetitively that they get to where they're trying to outsmart us and do it before we ask. That becomes a problem on our reining horses to change right in the middle all the time. And it'll get them where they're leaning their shoulders sometimes. So I like to practice a lot more on a straight line, whether that straight line is going on a diagonal across the arena. And a lot of times I will have my students practice it as a diagonal because it will allow us to have a lot more room to move those shoulders over, get things straight and set up, and then change leads and continue on a straight line. One of the problems that we create when we're doing it from circle to circle is we're using too much of direction to get that lead change. The problem with that is, is they will change only in their shoulder and not bring their hips along, and then they'll drag that lead. Um, so on that straight line, it allows us to almost work towards asking that hind lean to change first and the shoulders follow through. And I'll work that on a diagonal line is the easiest. And then eventually just drawing straight lines anywhere I want them in the arena. I want to look at lead changes as it's just another maneuver we do. And so I want to change leads a lot once I get that horse taught and knowing the body parts. I want to be able to lift up and change leads at any moment at any time. And I typically want to do it on a straight line. So hopefully that answers your question. 
Oh, very much so. And then in going back to helping the rider again, when they're trying to figure out these circles, whether they're the fast and large or whether they're the small and slow, do you have particular exercises that you start with? Like, do you do these? I know there's this, um, I'm just going to throw this out there. There's some reigning trainers that are not necessarily, they don't trot or jog ever, right? They go right from walk into canter and lope. What are your opinions on that? And do you start some of these circles at the jog first? What's how, how do you do all those things? I think uh, one of the things is a long time ago, we would hear reigning trainers say that they didn't trot or jog because there used to be the saying that there's no trotting and reigning. Um, but then we invented pattern 11, so we no longer could say that. But also, I think our trainers and the styles that are out there and the methods that are out there today, we trot a lot and a whole lot more than we did 20 years ago. Um, so, yes, we trot a lot of circles. I use circles in trotting a lot to prepare for my spins because the cadence of a trot is the same cadence you have in a spin. Um, working on the roundness of our circles, we also, as we teach our young horses, or if our horse doesn't know any better, we've got to do it from a walk to a trot to a lope. And we're going to do that working on our body control that we mentioned earlier. So we're definitely going to do our circles in every gear. Um, one of the things as we're talking that a tool that I use and teach is imagine that when you're on the, on the circle, you're loping on the face of a big clock. And so this helps in us making a round circle and it helps in our communication. And when we're instructing so that everybody's on the same page as to where you're at in that circle. So if you're on the face of a big clock, you walk to the center of the arena like you would to go show right there at your middle cone, that's going to be 12 o'clock. As you lope off into a right circle, you're going to lope to three and then six and then nine and back to 12. And that's how you're going to make your, put your eyes and your attention. Once your horse lopes off, you look at three. As you start to approach three, as you lope along, move your attention to six and so on around the clock. Um, that allows you to do things like as you're training on your horse, if your horse leans in and misses three, that's okay. Don't panic and feel like you've got to drag him over there. Just look up and try to hit six. And that allows you in your mental thinking as you go around there, realizing where's my horse honestly pushing in and pushing out because you want to hit those points on the clock at the same spot, every revolution. And if you're not able to do that, we need to work on our guidance, which tells us I'm not ready to do things like change leads or worry about my speed until I can get this guidance down. And a lot of times having that clock and imagining that you're loping on a clock helps you make it more round. I think that that not only is obviously so helpful for this maneuver and reigning, but I just think it transfers over across so many disciplines to keep in mind And I know I'm certainly taking notes for what I do next time I'm on my horse. (laughs) Good. So, and, and you're right, Sarah, uh, Mm -hmm. all of these things is just horse training. I do, you know, of course we are biased being rainers, but you will hear a lot of people, whether they're in the cow horse or the cutting or English, they will talk about that. If they've tried reining at all, it's not the easiest discipline out there. You've got to pay attention, and there's a lot of finesse to this. But that's also why our sport is so popular. Most people that are in our industry are type A personalities. They're trying to find perfection. And so the challenge of getting these horses this finesse is what draws us to the sport. But it works in any equestrian sport or discipline. 
It sure does. And I'll tell you, Shane, from my perspective, I am an instructor and I teach a lot of beginners and intermediates to ride. And I have also picked up so much. So thank you so much for all of your information today. It's been fabulous. Well, good. I was hoping that maybe I might have a gym or two. (laughs) I'd say definitely more than two. (laughs) Good. So, Shane, I know people are going to want to connect with you and learn more about NRHA professionals and how to get connected with them after this. So what's the best way to reach you? Um, Of course, uh, Facebook. We're on Facebook on Shane Brown Performance Horses. Um, All my individual contact information is at Find a Pro on the NRHA website. Um, We try to, we're working on trying to get those guys to where all of their information is on that website and to where you can go and look and look up your area and find a trainer there. Um, we have moved and I don't think I've changed it on there to Aubrey, but <clears throat> if you had something where in Aubrey and you wanted to find the trainers there, you could go to the NRHA website and find all the trainers in your area. Awesome. And I, you know, how much I love that tool too. So anyone, you know, listening in today, again, that is NRHA.com slash find a pro. And like Shane said, you could pick the drop down and get as specific as a state or even a city. Uh, to try and connect with someone in your area. So it's a great way to kind of dip your toe in. Exactly. Thank you, Shane, for being on the show today. We so appreciate it. Thank you, Christy and Sarah. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for letting me be on. So talking to Shane about those maneuvers was so interesting. And I really have to wrap myself out for a second (laughs) because my very first reigning lesson, I remember going into it thinking, the circles will for sure be the easiest maneuver. Like I grew up a barrel racer. I know how to do a circle. I mean, come on, that part has got to be easy. And it was so deceivingly difficult. (laughs) 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 And I kept looking down at the horse's neck and at my hands. And, you know, I've been riding for 20 years and the coach I was with just kept saying, you know, the horse is still going to be up under you. You've got to look up, you've got to look ahead. And, So hearing Shane kind of break it down maneuver by maneuver and talking about it being a series of redirected lines, all I was thinking was my naive little self not realizing how much finesse went into something that seemed so simple. And I just loved hearing him break it down like that. I can't wait to go try it. Oh, I agree. He broke it down great. And I am so proud of you for ratting yourself out. I do it constantly. I'm because <laughs> right. Because if we, that's how we learn, right? You learn by like having a little failure moment and going, oh my gosh, I've got to get humble again. And what will horses do to us? Oh, they'll humble us every, every time. single time. And if you just want to <laughs> change your discipline, change your breed and oh boy, it's a whole new ball game. A whole new ball game. And our professionals to Shane's credit, he mentioned, you know, how they help each other. But gosh, are they so willing to help new people? I mean, the amount of times I've called them for help outside of reining, even help inside reining for me to just understand things a little bit more. They are so brilliant at what they do and so great at explaining it, whether you know a lot or whether you know nothing. And so, I mean, they are just such a great connection to have. Completely agree. So anyone listening, again, you can find a pro at nrha.com and then it's actually under find a pro. So it'd be great to have you go there and check it out. There's some great people pretty much all around the U.S., Canada and internationally. Absolutely. I am thrilled to introduce our next guest on the podcast today. We are going to be here with Drake Johnson. 
He competed in the Appaloosa Circuit as a youth and earned his associate's degree in horse management from Lamar Community College. He opened up his own training business in Ray, Colorado, and specializes in reining, working cow horse, and versatility ranch horse. He has coached NRHA Derby and Futurity winners, finalists, High Point and AQHA Youth, American Quarter Horse Youth Association World Show Top 10 Contenders. And not only has he done all of that, but he has his judges card with NRHA. He's a steward and he sits on our board of directors and has served multiple committees, including the judges, stewards and age event committee. Drake, thank you so much for joining us, especially on such a big day, getting your little girl registered for her kindergarten classes. That's pretty major. So the fact you made time for us today, we are so excited to have you with us. That's awesome. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. So, Drake, I chose the photo to use that you will see once this is put on the Horses in the Morning page and and Uh on our page on NRHA.com of you and I at the freestyle that you did at the Derby. Could you go ahead and just um, chat a little bit more about that class and why you chose the song and the costume that you did? Well, you know, I'm uh, I like all kinds of music. I listen to all kinds of music and um I've done that one before. It's uh, Frank Sinatra, uh, New York, New York, and uh, and it really fits. It has a you know it has some changes of pace and speed. It's entertaining, and I think even uh, even the young young people today could you know have heard that song. So it kind of it kind of reaches out to a little bit of all the age groups. And um, and whenever I have a real particular horse that has a real good movement and flows with the timing with the and the rhythm with the music and uh you know it's just a real fun one i mean i always have like uh you know frank sinatra and i mean who doesn't so um you know costume just kind of uh being like like frank you know um and uh it's uh it's just has always been a fun real entertaining one and and really fairly easy to do because it's got a lot of changes and and uh, and and it's extremely entertaining it was extremely entertaining, and I love freestyle. Freestyle is what first drew me to kind of loving the reigning sport, so it was a joy to see you do it. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. So, Drake, today's show is really specifically focused on the pieces of a reigning pattern that include the circles and the lead change. So mm-hmm. as a judge, you've sat in the chair at the AQHA World Show, at Congress, at all these really large major events. When you're mm-hmm. in that chair, what are things you're looking for in a good, fast, and slow circle during a raining pattern? Well, you know, first of all, I always try to, when I judge an inning maneuver, you know, I always kind of want to have a general in mind. And that's, you know, that's kind of the, that's kind of what our judging is based on. And uh, everybody can find that in the rules for judging. And it talks, you know, it talks about, you know, the correctness of the pattern, um, you know, uh, to guide the horse willingly and uh, dictated to completely. Uh, we're, we really look at uh, pattern placement, you know, mm-hmm. uh, symmetry of the size of the circle, you know, hitting the middle, the center of the arena. Um, and then, you know, then the degree of difficulty goes up based on, you know, speed, authority, um, you know, and is it pleasing to watch? And um, so, you know, really the, 
the first, you know, first thing, there's several parts to the circle. And if you were to talk about circles and then the lead change, you know, the first thing I watch is how if they they're entering the arena, you know, coming in the arena, walking to the center, that's all part of that first first maneuver. And then you would, I kind of, you know, we talk about things being correct, good, very good, and great. That would be, you know, zero plus half plus one to plus one and a half. And then the other way, poor, very poor, extremely poor. So you, when that first one walks to the middle and then how they execute that lead departure, that first, that's kind of the first thing I check that box in my mind, you know, was it, was it correct, good, or, you know, give that a value. And then that first circle, you know, based on how well they, you know, um, you know, execute the circle, whether it's, let's say it's a small, slow, or let's say it's a large, fast to start with. And, you know, you want to see that the upward transition be smooth. You want to see some, the, obviously the circle being correct. You want to see how willingly and um, dictated to completely that horse is, you know, the balance of the horse, the way of going with the horse um, and his, you know, expression that all plays a part into that first circle. So after they run that first circle and that speed was the speed average, was it, you know, good, very good. So after that first circle, in my mind, I'll give that a, give that a score. And then let's say, so we say the first uh, lead departure was just average or correct. And then let's say that first circle, that's good. So now we have an average and then good meaning plus half. And then let's say they, on the second fast circle, they kind of duck in or the horse, you know, kind of sticks his nose to the outside and he has to, there's resistance when he guides him back in, or maybe he leans to the middle that just given a description of maybe what could happen, you know, then we would, then I would say that second circle is a poor. Okay. So now we have, you know, average on the lead departure, the walk in the lead departure, you know, good on the first circle or poor on the second circle. And let's say the downward transition, the slow toward downward transition is a little early, not too center. And, you know, then we, then the horse just kind of goes around, you know, kind of average through the, through the small. and then. I'll give that a score. We'll say average. And then let's say the lead departure or the lead changes was good. So in your mind as a judge, you have to weigh about all those parts and the circles take really a kind of a long time. So it's, you have to be really careful not to just see one negative in one place. And then that's what that whole, all those circles and changes and lead departure warrant. You you can't do that. So as I just talked you through one, we said the, we said the lead departure and the walk to the middle was average. And we said the first circle was good. So that we're going to have a plus half there. And then the second circle is poor. We lost some guide. We had some resistance. So we're, that we'd say that's minus half. And then the third circle is average, but then we had a good, um, you know, good change of lead. So when you take all that and you weigh that all together, you come up with your score of zero if that makes sense, back to average, because you had, you had two pours and two goods and, and two averages in that. So, so then it kind of brings you back to, that's how you come up with the score that you have. And, you know, pattern placement is very, very important. It plays into that as far as like, um, you know, when they, you know, did they just walk a few steps and lope off? Um, and then hitting the middle, we allow the horse to have like a stride before direct center and after direct center. That's kind of that box. So we we allow the lead change and walk forward and then lope off in somewhere in that general area. Um, 
two things I see a lot of mistakes. People really, they run that first big fast circle and then they start slowing down way before the center. I, as we teach it, we'd like to see those horses. It calls for it all the way to the center. Then they slow down. If they take a couple strides to come to where that pace they want, then that's, then that's, uh, that's credit earning. So, um, so it's always good to, you know, be correct on your circles, um, you know, and hit the center, which would be your middle cone. We do allow a horse width either side of that center because we, we have the allowance of the Bach prior direct center forward and behind it. And so we also have kind of a horse width each side of that direct middle cone as you're sitting there. So I don't know. That's kind of a little general basic description of a circle. Uh, I think that's great. And I think what's so cool for those listening who are competitors already in reigning is the way you broke that down, you know, even if things aren't exactly going how you hoped in part of that circle, you know, the way you describe it so broken down, there's certainly no reason to give up or feel discouraged if there's a piece that's a little off because there's certainly other pieces where you can make up those points, even in that one maneuver. Correct. You know, we weigh, we weigh the maneuver, the whole thing. And I think a lot of times, you know, you'll see somebody make a mistake and then you can just see them just be deflated and they quit showing, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you'll see some, you know, riders on particular patterns that like a pattern eight where you run fast, small, slow and big, fast, you'll see them be a little conservative on the first circle, you know, because they don't know if the horse is going to come back, you know, and, uh, then they do. And then they'll run that third the big circle after the small real aggressive you know so that comes to mind you can see that you know even at a major um you know and those guys are they're playing up the good points they're playing down their their you know their bad or what what the horse is going to listen to and so you know you just you just have to keep moving forward and being being correct and um so hopefully that kind of describes that a little bit I think it was great, Drake. And I'll tell you, um, this is so good to have the judge's perspective. But with you, we get two things because you also are a trainer. So mm-hmm. I want to kind of jump into what tips do you have? As I know everyone teaches things a little bit differently to give those that are listening right now some tips to work on these maneuvers with their own horses at home. What are some ideas that you like to instill in your own students? Well, you know, my, you know, what I like to instill in my students is, is I kind of go over that when they run those circles. I'm, I'm a big uh, proponent of, because judging, I know that's where your score gets up and down is, you know, take your time, make sure you're correct on your lead departure, practice those things at home where you can, you know, your horse can get his feet moving. If you need to kind of bridle up or help him, you know, do that, but just practice that anywhere in a circle, just when you're walking and letting them catch their air, you know, put your legs on, set them up, clear the shoulder, whatever you do to, to, to get prepared to execute that, that lead departure. Cause I think we, people think they just go to the middle and then put their leg on and things aren't right. And then they just panic and go and then wrong lead or what, whatever happens, you know, so you can, so you can practice that. And I have my students do that, you know, when they're walking around, after you know after they're kind of when they're warming up getting ready to show they check that you know that uh setting that horse up for the lead departure and you don't have to do it in the middle you just do it as you're walking putting your legs on set them up soften them 
then let that horse relax him. So he's not thinking every time you go to set him up, he's got to do it. And then, you know, before I send him in, and I mean, I, I just handle this all the time, all the way to the middle, all the way to the middle to slow down, all the way to the middle to change leads. Because these horses, they get, as they start to get shown, if you back off early, um, you know, we practice at home, run into the middle, and then they slow down, they keep their hawk engaged, they, they know they're still going on that circle. But a lot of times, if you decelerate early, that horse pops out of lead, he anticipates going the other way and changes leads. So that's another kind of verbiage in my mind. And I, you know, have my riders think, you know, on their downward transitions that they're always to the middle and same thing with that lead change. Those horses, you know, after they get shown, they anticipate that middle quite a bit. So I think that's probably one of the bigger things to just focus on is when you're circling, keep thinking like you're going to look 10 more circles. And when it's time to, slow down, stop or change, just do it right then. And then, then the horse doesn't know what's coming. Um, so those are, those are some big things, you know, I see, you know, from a judge's standpoint, um, and, and the coaching standpoint, um, you know, a lot of times when I sit in chair five, which is behind the rider and, or even on either way, you can see when somebody and somebody be running a really fast circle and they back off and that horse really shuts down, but they're still an eighth, eighth from the center. You know, I can still see kind of the side of the horse, not, you know, the horse approaching in that box in the middle. And then they lay kind of some tracks and then they keep loping. Well, that's a great downward speed transition, but it's in a terrible location. So it's really hard to, you kind of lose that credit that you, that you could have. And um, so those will probably be the, two biggest tips that I could, could help people to improve their circles is, you know, go slowly on your upward transition, work on a nice, good, I think a downward transition is being just meltdown. Don't, you know, don't brace and be abrupt and try to make it happen because if it doesn't happen right away, a lot of times people panic and want to pull and then the horse leans into the bridle and then you don't get anything. Just meltdown. Let's give that horse a chance because you've been training on him to listen to your, um, to your body position and your downward transition. And a lot of times they'll really just respond to that. But when you brace and force something, a horse has a tendency to kind of stiffen up against it. So true. And these details, Drake, are so good. And I love that you're doing it from the perspective of not only a trainer and a coach, but also as the judge, because I think that that's key right? Being able to pay attention to all of that and know that that's your end goal if you're planning on showing. So what's going to be what the different perspectives and I love how you brought up the chair. I think that that's really important. Can you explain that to our listeners what the different chairs um, are in uh, for the reigning? Because I don't think everyone will know exactly what that means. Well, like at a at a major event where we have five chair positions, you would have one you know, one on the, as you're entering the arena on your left-hand side of the arena between the middle and the first cone. And then the second chair is the one directly in the middle cone. And then third would be the third one up on your left side. And then four is on the right side on the other side of the arena. And then five is back toward the gate. And, you know, a lot of times that, you know, when, when people evaluate their scores or, you know, I've been on reviews that, you know, working on the judges committee. I mean, there, there is, when I sit in chair one or four, whatever chair I am, I have to judge within that perspective 
all day long. That's where I'm at, you know, and that's where I can see. So sometimes you'll see some nuances that you or some some judges at their pers- pers- perspective can only see some certain things like if the guy directly in the middle sometimes on that downward transition and we work really hard to look through the legs and try to see the back, um, the back legs. But sometimes the guy in one and three and four and five can actually see that horse maybe come in and come out of lead, you know, directly where that guy's one position. He couldn't see that. Well, you know, you look at your scores you're like, Oh, well, this guy liked me, this guy, that's got nothing to do with it. It's just, there's a spot there that he could not see that. Um, a lot of times I've done the Derby the last couple of years, you know, in, in, in four and five, and you really, I mean, those, the downward transition is pretty self-evident because we're from the back behind. We can see that where if you take and you go sit in the other chair on the other side, you have a different perspective of that, what that is coming down there. So the judges all are, are trained in all those different chair positions and they judge within that spot all day long. And then they give a good, um, a good quality, um, evaluation of your maneuver. But I think as a, as, as I could say to the exhibitors and our competitors and our, and our fans that it does, you go sit in all five different those chairs. It's, it's a little different look, but you're still judging the same reigning. And, uh, and, um, uh, and so that that's the beauty of it. Absolutely. And I always think it's so funny, you know, at our winter meeting, we'll do, you know, we'll play those runs and have everyone judge it themselves. And, you know, you guys always do such a great job at talking about those different perspectives and not only that, but talking about how quickly you have to make a decision with the perspective you have, you know, it's so easy when someone's watching that run after to, see all the things or you can discuss it out loud with your friends or debate it and discuss it for a while and then come up with a score, but you don't have that luxury when you're in that chair. (laughs) No. And, and, you know, for myself that I try to, and, and all the judges are, you, you just got to make the call, evaluate it, give it a score, move on. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I really judging is not necessarily my opinion. I've been trained to evaluate the maneuver and score it in accordance with our, um, you know, with our, with our industry standard and nothing personal, you know what I mean? Just like I went through those things. If I can evaluate all those parts of that circle and give it a score and move on, I I forget about it. And you could be negative and poor on one side. And if you kick it over here on this side, I pay it. So if you really, the beauty of the system is that it's one maneuver at a time. And all I am as a reporter, reporting what I see and what you're doing each maneuver. And I'm, I just forget about it after that. I don't care what my end score is or this or that. I think truly the best evaluation of the reigning horse is just one maneuver at a time. And then you can be comfortable with when there's good stuff, you pay it. When it's negative, you, you give it that score. And then how it shakes out at the end, well, if there's, you know, they're, they're, you got two tied at a, you know, 75. Well, you could come, there can be all kinds of different ways to come with it. I didn't tie them. You know what I mean? Right. It's not my judge. I'm not sitting there scoring going, well, out of 130 rounds, I'm going, hey, I'm kind of like so-and-so better and this and that. And I know he's here and there. You will uh-huh. mess up the rate. You cannot do it. You just need to be a reporter of whatever it is. And so when, you know, just another little, you know, things, 
that I guess fans or, or exhibitors need to know is like, you'll see scores like you could see a score of 70 and a 72 and maybe, you know, 70 and a half or something like that. And you're going, Oh, this guy didn't like me. This guy loves me. You know, you, I mean, I've heard this stuff for years, you know, and I try to educate them in the fact that you, there's sometimes on a maneuver, there's a lot of hmm, nuts here and then there's okay here. And you might get the benefit of the doubt. There's two places that maneuver could be scored. You're on the bubble. It's either a zero or maybe a half. Okay. Well, one, one judge zeroes it. It's kind of, and then one judge plus halves it. You're kind of in the middle. You're tweener. Well, you do that in four maneuvers in a reigning pattern. One's a guy's a two, one guy's a 70. And they're both right. So what I try to tell exhibitors, you got to be better because I, you've got to make it an easy call. So when you see the, see the scores come up, I remember Vegas a few years ago, our first horse out around 75. I mean, it was a great rain. Judge one, 75, judge two, 75, judge three, 75. Why are they all just 75? Because they were easy calls for all of us to make. You see what I mean? Absolutely. They were easy zero, easy one. It wasn't, you know, you get, it could be two places. It could be a zero minus half or zero or plus half, you know, whichever. There's two places it can be. When you do that on a few maneuvers, it can be a little different. And and that's okay because if you average them and draw it down the middle, that's pretty much a, a real good um, um, description of what you just did. So if you want to get that score and you don't want to have get the benefit of the doubt or, you know, you're on the fence on one maneuver, you just got to go be better. You just got to make it an easy call for the judges. So, well, I don't know if that I, explains that, but. Absolutely. I think it's a great perspective and uh, just great insight. Like Christy mentioned earlier from multiple perspectives, from a training side and from a judge's side. And I know people are going to want to figure out how to get in contact with you after this recording mm-hmm. and after they listen to this podcast you know, we've already mentioned earlier on the podcast that they can visit nrha.com slash find a pro to find different professionals in their area. But mm-hmm. where can they get directly in contact with you, Drake? Well, I have a website. It's uh, drakejohnsonhorses.com. Um, you know, obviously I'm uh, Facebook, you know, Instagram under Drake Johnson Performance Horses. Um You know, I'm on the judges list of entering, and obviously NRHA find a pro. So, I mean, there's on the internet, you can type it in, you can, you can, you can find it. So, um, be more than happy to help, you know, anybody and, and whether you're in our region or not, or need the help here, but, you know, I have a quite a bit of network of friends and things across throughout the country that, you know, we can hook you up with somebody in, in their area and give you some recommendations that, uh, you know, help them get some, you know, get some, uh, get some help as far as, you know, you got to have a coach. You got to have somebody with your eyes on all of us professionals. We ride with each other. Um, we're always asking, you know, what did that look like? You know, even your help, you have to have, you know, sometimes you, you can, can't see the trees through the forest, you know, and getting help is, that's what's so nice, great about the industry today. All the young and upcoming guys and the trainers over the years have learned and interned and, and apprentices and work and were assistants, you know, that's where they've kind of grown through the, through the ranks to become the quality that they are. So there's, and, and I haven't seen ever been anywhere and nobody's like, yeah, no, I'm not going to help you. 
you know, what I mean? <laughs> either affiliate shows or whatever. There's always somebody there. Don't, you know, feel free to ask. And there's never a, there's never a dumb question, you know, I, it's I mean, an awesome I truly community. If, if you don't ask that, and that's probably the dumb question, you know what <laughs> I mean? Just ask, you know, and everybody's, yeah, it's such a good uh, community to, to help, uh, you know, progress your skills. And if you're confused or don't understand, you know, I, I have lots of guys that, ask, you know, Hey, will you look at my run? You go, you know, let's go over it, you know? So. Well, Drake, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the thank show you. today. I think you gave such a wonderful perspective and it's going to be just great for everyone that's listening. So thank you again. Absolutely. Well, thank, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, I really enjoyed that. What a unique concept to have him come on and um, even dive into like the specifics on the chair position. I don't know if people think about that. And I loved that perspective of him because he is a judge and he sat in every chair. I thought that was really neat. Yes, me too. And it's so cool because, you know, it's fun if you know nothing about reading to learn about things like that. But also even our top level professionals, Drake talks all the time about how the guys that are out there and improving are the ones that are spending time, you know, paying attention to stuff like that and looking at the handbook and talking to judges and looking at a run with them. And so I just think that's such a cool concept to just be a forever learner. I just love that. Me too. And for everyone listening, you can find more um, uh, about our National Reining Horse Association monthly edition of Horses in the Morning through the Equine Network by just visiting your favorite podcast um, store. And you can just download via a droid or also via Apple. So easy to find. And um, Sarah, explain a little bit more about how they can find us on NRHA. Absolutely. So you can find NRHA on Facebook, Instagram, NRHA.com, specifically NRHA.com slash fan if you're just wanting to know more about the very basics of reining. Or if you're a little bit past that and you've learned the basics and you're wanting to get connected with a trainer like the ones we've talked about today, again, you can visit NRHA.com slash find a pro and you can sort those trainers by state, by city. Um, by skill level, and then you can go out and try reining for yourself. And we hope that you do, and we hope that we talk to you next time we're on this podcast. But until then, go and have the slide of your life. <laughs>